0: Let's dive into improving our state of being. On this episode, I talk with Logan Sneed. His story is so impactful as a stage four glioblastoma brain cancer survivor. Now, when I say those words stage four glioblastoma, I hope that you realize that that prognosis is extremely poor. In the average case, the survival is 12 to 18 months. Logan was diagnosed at age 19. So the actions he took and the changes that he made are so impactful and inspiring. He is now several years out from that diagnosis and is now a number one top selling author, six figure entrepreneur, college dropout and public speaker. Logan is transforming lives financially and physically through logansneed.com. His message to change the world is, it always seems impossible until it is done. Of course, that quote is from Nelson Mandela. In this episode, Logan shares his journey from diagnosis to processing that at such a young age, to working with his family and the medical team to get the best care and then to realizing lifestyle changes that would impact his life significantly and that he now shares with others it's short and concise yet packed with great information enjoy all right super excited to have logan sneed with me today i love how the internet connects us and i just loved his story so much that I asked him to be on the podcast. And I know that you all will receive so many pearls of wisdom and insight. So thank you so much for joining me, Logan.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Claudia, for having me on here. I'm really excited.
0: Of course. Yeah. So as we always start, what does true wellness mean to you? It means working
1: every single day to become happy, healthy, and wealthy and creating the absolute best version of
0: yourself. Yeah. Awesome. I love, I love the confidence in saying that. (laughs) And and I I think that's part of it, right? I think uh, through what you've been through, you uh, can speak that solidly. So that was my first takeaway is just the solid answer. So I appreciate that and agree so much with your answer. So thank you for that. Let's go. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, let's dive into your story. It is uh, very inspiring, very impactful, and I don't know how many of my listeners um, know it. So I would love to just dive into basically the journey that led you to the work that you do today.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'll try and like give as much detail, but summarize it up as, as, as good as possible. It's kind of a long story short. It was one day where I was actually on the way Uh, It was actually a a day where I was actually feeling great. I was in such a good mood. I was feeling amazing. Uh, The day was going incredible. And I was like, I'm going to the gym. All right, let's do it. Let's go, let's go. And then uh, I was in such a good mood, actually, that I decided to FaceTime and call my girlfriend at the time for the first time ever. And I say first time ever as in I've never FaceTimed while driving ever in my life. And I've never even considered it until that day. Um, And suddenly as I'm talking to her, I start like slurring my words. Um, I knew exactly what I was trying to say in my mind, but it's like, you know, it's like you become like the words are sitting right there. And it's like, I know what, I know those words. I just, I physically can't say them. And she thought I was like playing a joke and like, you know, things were just like all fun and dandy. And suddenly I started having a seizure while I was driving. Um, and never in my entire life have I had a single seizure. I mean, you know, thought about a seizure or any of that stuff. And she witnessed the whole seizure over the phone while I was driving by myself to the gym. And uh, she knew where I was going. And so she immediately obviously freaked out, called the ambulance, ambulance uh, came and they, the car, it's kind of a, it's a huge blessing. I drove half a mile unconscious and I drove just off the road into a small ditch. Um there was absolutely no car damage, no physical damage whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um and so they came and they had to break into the car because obviously the car's locked and I'm having a seizure. So they broke into the car, they transported me to the hospital. I don't remember any anything. And then they said, "All right. So what's what's the reasons here, right?" So my parents like zoomed over to the hospital as soon as possible. Um they said, "What's going on? What's going on?" They said, well, we have no idea. They said, "Well, do you know if your son's like doing any drugs?" And they're like, "No, he's never done drugs." So obviously they drug test me and there's no drugs that I ever did. And they said, well, yeah, I mean, we, we just don't know what this is. I mean, we're going to have to like figure this out. And so it took a lot of time for them trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And suddenly they said, you know, we don't know. I mean, we've never seen this before, so we're going to have to scan something. So it led to an MRI the next day and the MRI the next day. Um, I was just going into there thinking like, ah, nothing's going to happen. It's all going to be good. It's not really a big problem. So I went in there, then they came back and said, okay, it looks like there's a, there's a mass in there and we're going to have to maybe look further into this because it looks pretty, pretty, pretty large. So that led to going to a neurologist where the neurologist, he looked at it and said, tumor, but I can't call it a benign tumor. So we're going to have to maybe talk to a neuro on, or a, a, a brain surgeon to get his insight on what he wants to do with this. So that led to us going to talk to a brain surgeon probably about a day or two later. And the brain surgeon that I met up with was here in Austin. And he immediately said, as soon as I, as soon as I met up with him, he said, Hey Logan, um, you know, I'm really sorry to, to say this, but, um, you know, if we do this surgery, it looks like you won't be able to speak or hear, uh, ever again. And I'm like, Whoa. I'm like, Whoa. All right. Um, first off, good to meet you. Secondly, Sounds like I'm going to be borderline mute for the rest of my life. So like, why am I even here? Um, so that was very, very just shocking results right there. And that led to us saying, you know what? We need to go find a second opinion. We need to find somebody who's better and who may have a different outcome. So we went to go. We ended up getting connected with the number one brain surgeon in the world, whose name is Dr. Raymond Shawaya. Um, and I asked him the question I said, hey, man, am I going to be a little speaker here after the surgery? He said, dude, he said, if I'm doing this, don't sweat it. He said, I got you. You're going to be fine and we're, it's going to go well. And it's pretty crazy to, to mentally understand how two different people mm-hmm. with the same exact job have two completely different outcomes and two completely different mindsets, right? Like that was just like unreal to hear that. So that led to brain surgery the next day. He said, are you going to be ready for brain surgery tomorrow? And I'm like, brain surgery tomorrow? Like, dude, I, I just met you yeah, we're doing it tomorrow. And I'm like, whoa. So that morning I had brain surgery. It was a seven hour long brain surgery. um, And the surgery went phenomenally well. Um, They woke me up in the middle of the surgery to ask me questions. Everything was going incredible. And it was going so well that he removed 100% of the tumor. Um, So 100% of the tumor removal was just amazing as far as how that can happen. And so that led to them figuring out, okay, what is this tumor? Is this, you know, malignant, benign, whatever? So they had to um, analyze it. And so they spent about two to three weeks analyzing to figure out what it was. And they came back and, you know, this led to the diagnosis. You know, I go in there and uh, they said, you know, hey, Logan, um, you know, it's, uh, it's it's good to see you here. But uh, I just want you to know that this, uh, this is going to be a stage, stage four glioblastoma brain tumor. And uh, these things are, you know, very uncurable. And we, you know, are going to have a hard time with this one, but we'll do the best we can. And uh, they said, they said, you know, I'm sorry to tell you this, but it looks like, you know, you have about one to 10 years left to live. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, like, what? One to 10 years left to live? Are Are you kidding me? Like, first off, why are like, why am I here on earth if I have only one to 10 years left to live? I'm taking up time. I'm taking up space. I'm taking up money, you know? So like, what am I doing here? And that immediately shocked me and just like 100% was just a whole different world. Um, and my dad asks in the middle of that, that diagnosis, says, okay, so what should we do about this? Well, you know, we're going to try chemotherapy. We're going to try radiation. We're going to do absolutely the best we can do. But, you know, that's really all that we can do. And so my dad goes, all right, so are you telling my son that he could, you know, go have a beer? in a burger. And that's, that's, that's all he can do. And she goes, yes, sir. That's, you know, that's, that's what I'm telling him. And so obviously when, when, whenever you get diagnosed and somebody says, Hey, you're going to be dead pretty soon. So goodbye, you know, go, go, go start carving your, your deathbed. Cause that's, you know, your, um, whatever. Like, I mean, that's something that not, not many people hear and I never thought in my life I would have anyone tell me that. And I left there feeling like I added like 200 pounds of weight on my back. Um, And I was lost. I was done. I was like, "Like, what the heck am I doing?" So that led to a few weeks of going through chemotherapy and radiation. I went through oral chemotherapy and full radiation. And in that time period, I was trying to figure out in my mind, "I'm like, there's something out there. There's something I can do about this. I know there's something more than a doctor, you know, trying to determine my life and all those sort of things." And so that led to me suddenly one day, I was like out there paddleboarding with a friend of mine. Um, and this is probably about eight weeks after doing chemo, radiation, everything. And he was like, how's it going, man? You know, like, you know, you are doing well, yada, yada, yada. He's like, have you heard of this keto diet? And I was like, no, I was like what, like, what is that? And this was like, by the way, this is like when keto was, you know, definitely not where it is now. This is like before I was honestly even born. Um, and, uh, I was, he was like, yeah, I would look more into this. He said, this thing is very interesting on how it could help potentially prevent your tumor from coming back or potentially shrink other tumors. And it could help you lose the body fat weight that you're looking to lose. um, And it could potentially save your life. And I was like, Whoa, I was like, this is interesting. I was like, first off, it could help me lose body fat, right? It could help me potentially prevent tumor regrowth. It could potentially starve cancer, it could prevent full seizures in my in my life. And it could literally transform my life mentally, physically and emotionally. I'm like, Wow, I'm like, I I don't know what this is, but I'm gonna figure it out. And so that night I stayed up to like 3 a.m. in the morning just like looking at this thing, like, all right, I was like, I don't know if this is gonna work. It may not work, it may work, I don't know, but I'm gonna do everything I can to make this work really freaking well. And so I literally started the next day, and then ever since then I never second guessed it. I never I've never been off of it, I've never done anything different um to lose my results And, you know, it's been over four years now and I've had absolutely no tumor regrowth. Um, doctors are in shock and awe right now. And um, they never thought any of these results would be possible. Um, and I'm not, you know, sitting here saying every human has to do keto. Um, by any means, I'm just saying, like, I found something that could give me hope that could change my life. And I did that. And now I've been able to transform 1000s of lives through the ketogenic diet, building my online businesses, becoming an influencer in writing a book, you know, thank you, cancer, and now really achieving the impossible is really kind of some simple words to summarize it all up. So, yeah.
0: That's a very inspiring uh, story and you did an amazing job at putting a lot of details in a very concise way. Mm -hmm. And there's so many parts of this that I just want to dive into. First, I just want to point out a few things for listeners because I know it's very easy when we're driving and listening to a podcast to miss some points. So first I want to point out the first time you FaceTimed was the absolute most necessary time you needed to be FaceTiming. So if your gut tells you (laughs) to get on FaceTime or do something else, it might be time to listen. So thank goodness that you listened yeah. to your gut on that. And the second thing that really stands out is the importance that you and your family decided to seek out a second opinion. And I think a lot of people in a very fearful situation, which a Life threatening diagnosis is and certainly can be, um, proceed in fear because they feel like they don't have the time to research, they don't have the time to get another answer, or, um, you know, whatever. And so I think it's really important to point out that you did get a second opinion and you ended up with the best option that you could have had. So that's really important to point out. Yeah. And um, I, completely understand because i went through this with my family is that when you're being told you know treatment wise chemo radiation okay i totally get what the medical system can do for me but what can i when i go home what can i do for myself and to be told there's really nothing it doesn't make sense it doesn't make logical sense you know i'm sure there's yeah. something that's in my power and when we're being told there's not i you know i think that that's a really important point because many of us feel like no there's something in my hands i can do i i can't be the powerless victim of a patient I want to have some kind of role in my own care and what can that be and oftentimes you know the medical system maybe doesn't know they don't know where to direct you they just know what what the medical system can do so all really important points. Can you give a little bit of a timeline like how old were you when this was diagnosed?
1: Yes, so I'm 23 now I'll turn 24 uh, late June and I was diagnosed like right at 20. Um no, excuse me, right at nine I was nineteen, about to turn twenty.
0: Okay, so I mean that's that's an age where you don't expect to have any mention of your mortality. So how how did facing your own mortality, which I I mean I'm I'm assuming that wasn't a topic that was spoken of, you know, much or thought of much at at that age, how did Mm -hmm. facing that at such a young age How did you process that? I mean, I know right now you're able to talk about it from a very, you know, intelligent and um, concise way because you've processed it. But at that time, what was going through your mind?
1: Yeah, I was, I mean, at first I felt hopeless. I felt lost. I felt super weak. Um, And, but I'm going to be honest with you, I know this is a very weird answer, but what she told me really pissed me off um, because I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur in my life. I've always wanted to be my own boss. You know, I've always wanted to do what I want to do, not what somebody else wants me to do. And now it got to a whole different level when somebody says, oh, hey, here's when you're going to die. Here's how it's going to happen. So, yeah, good luck. Right, when, that, when I hear that, like that really pissed me off. In that, like I'm not saying like I wanted to prove her wrong by any means. I wanted to prove myself wrong by not letting those words control my life. I wanted to be my own boss and me determine how my life is going to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, really just taking how upset I was and how heated I was in that whole thing and realizing like, Hey, it's an opportunity now go prove yourself wrong. Okay. Go prove the doubt wrong. You don't have to go prove her wrong, but prove the doubt wrong. And that's going to help change your life. And so that's what really kind of kicked it off pretty, you know, pretty quick.
0: Mm, really interesting and and powerful and really speaks a lot to where you were at at that point in your life. I think it would be easy to fall into fear and despair. And honestly, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm reading a book called Super Attractor by Gabby Bernstein. And in there, she talks yeah. about sort of the scale of emotions and um anger actually being a more, um, higher, even though it's not high, but a a higher energy emotion than fear and despair. So interesting that that, um, even though we don't typically think of anger as something positive, but if we're comparing it to the lowest, which is fear and despair, it's definitely better. So really interesting that that's, um, you know, what ended up propelling you and and moving you up. So really, really super interesting. Can you take us through, I don't know that all of our listeners know what a ketogenic diet is. So can you take us through sort of, you know, and you can even take us through timeline, you you know, you're, you're being told by a friend to research it. So you start researching it. What did you find about it? Did you actually dive into literature or did you just, uh, how, how did you begin in a, in a, you know, sort of practical way, this ketogenic diet and what does that look like for you today?
1: Yeah. So for those that are curious, the ketogenic diet is a high fat, medium protein, low carb diet. So essentially all in all, it's a sugar-free diet, right? And so sugar will fuel cancer and this allowed, um, this diet will potentially starve cancer and make it, you know, either stay gone or potentially you can shrink tumors and starve cancer in general. And so I stayed up one night, I just typed in on Google, the ketogenic diet. And I was like, this is super weird. And then like, I saw some articles and then I saw some research on glioblastoma tumors, and I'm like, wow, it's shown that potentially can shrink tumors, prevent tumors, fight diabetes, epilepsy, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, obesity, depression. Um, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And I was like, my goal is to you know, lose some body fat, beat brain cancer, feel amazing, have mental clarity, and achieve the impossible. And I'm like, whoa, if it's showing benefits in every facet that I'm trying to pursue, I was like, I got to go do this. I have to do it and so i looked i was watching youtube videos i was just looking up articles and just trying to learn as much as i possibly could um in the the most simple way because i'm by no means a scientist or any of that sort of stuff and i just wanted to find simplicity in learning it and that's really what i ran into
0: really interesting um and this is not a diet that you had heard of what how did it compare to what you had already been eating so what because i I think you were already you were already attentive to your health, correct? I mean, so what, what was the shift? What were you um, eating before? And how did this significantly change that?
1: Yeah, I, see, I thought I was being really healthy. Um, I was eating, you know, I'm not saying chicken, rice, and beans are unhealthy. They are healthy. But I mean, I thought I was doing well by the sense of I was eating about 3,000 to 4,000 calories a day. I was trying to gain as much size as I possibly could. And I definitely did that. I definitely gained a lot of muscle. I gained a lot of weight. But I was doing about 1,000-calorie protein sugar smoothies. I was doing um, calories out the wazoo. I was doing way excess carbohydrates, um, and I was really just destroying myself, not building myself up. And so I had a tumor there for six years, and I never realized that, uh, that it was there for six years. And so every meal I ate, I was basically fueling it, fueling it, fueling it. Um it got worse and worse and worse. And so when I did the keto diet, it's basically doing a whole 180. It's like a full reverse psychology almost. Like you're literally just doing you're going from I don't know, like you're going north, now you're going completely south. You're going south, now you're going completely, completely north, but there's a whole 180 in a completely different direction.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. And you know, you thought you were doing the right thing with the diet you had, and that was just a matter of what you what you knew. And that's that's the that's the benefit of, of learning. We obviously don't know what we don't know. So interesting that there, there was that much of a shift. So take us through what your day looks like as far as diet. So um, just for people to kind of get an idea, because I think when I was researching your story, do you also do intermittent fasting?
1: Yeah, I do. I do a lot of intermittent fasting. I do about 18 to 20 hours a day, um, and I do it on a daily basis, and that has helped a ton on starving cancer for me. Um, so yeah, I would, for, honestly, for anyone, I would really recommend intermittent fasting. Uh, it can vary from person to person, you know, women shouldn't fast as much as men, I don't think, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's helped a ton. I do that all the time.
0: Okay. So, um, take us through your day. Do you, is your fasting, um, like cutting out the, like, do you only have dinner? So what, what is sort of your day's diet look like?
1: Yeah. So usually around this time around right now it's four 30 here in Austin. Um, I'll have kind of like a mini snack meal sort of thing. Um, And then uh, later tonight, here in about two hours, we'll start making up a pretty large meal. And so it's like 1.5 meals a day where it's like one big meal and then one small meal. Um, And I do about an 18 to 20 hour fasting uh, throughout the day. So yeah, it's very simple. It's very easy. And you know, obviously it's, I love it. It's amazing to me.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because there actually is a lot of literature now and studies focusing on the impact of fasting on cancer cells and, you know, whether that's along with chemo or if it's on its own, but it really is um, very interesting. I feel like you're almost, you're like combining the two concepts of the type of food that is in a ketogenic diet and also the concept of fasting and what that does to cancer cells. So with with the treatment that you've done, so both the the traditional medical treatment and focusing on the ketogenic diet along with intermittent fasting there has been no recurrence or qu- even question of cancer cells growing again through your through your repeat imaging correct
1: That's exactly right
0: wow super super impactful i really i truly do believe that we have so much ability to shift things on our own with some lifestyle shifts. And I and I love that you were able to do that despite being told that there was nothing you could do. So I love that that friend was there to tell you that. How do you now use what you've learned, use the journey you've been through to impact others? Are you directly impacting, let's say, individuals being diagnosed with cancer, or are you more impacting the coaches that would then work with them. So what what sort of does your work look like now based on your journey?
1: Yeah. So I built fusionlean.com where it helps people transform their life physically through the ketogenic diets. So weight loss, you know, you know, there are some cancer patients, there are some diabetics, uh, but mainly transforming their body physically. Um, And then I also do, you know, fitpreneuracademy.com where I coach people in building their online health and fitness business and transforming lives. Um. So I kind of have a few different areas, but those are kind of my, my two main focus, you know, businesses.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. And I will include the links to all of that in the show notes. So anybody could find you that um, was looking, and I know you do have your book as well. Did you write that book in the midst of all of this after what, what, what was the timing of the, the book?
1: Yeah, it was probably about a year after kind of everything settled down, probably a year and a half maybe. Um, but yeah, I wrote the whole book handwritten. I just sat there one day and I was like, I want to write a book. I was like, I'm going to do it. And I literally just made it a goal to write one page a day every day until the book was done. I didn't write any more. I didn't write any less, just one page a day. That was it. Um, and kind of, you know, summed up and it, it turned into a full book and, you know, it was a huge dream of mine that I was able to achieve
0: wow really cool really cool for people thinking about writing a book too because I think it gets really overwhelming so just hearing we'll that you, you were able to just take it in bite-sized pieces with a, a page a day is is uh, pretty powerful as well knowing what you know now is there anything that you look back at your journey through this um, pretty significant medical journey is there anything you look back at and think I wish I would have done that differently or do you think everything happened exactly as it needed to happen
1: oh man I mean am I glad all of this stuff happened I would say no, but am I grateful that it happened? That I learned a lot from it? Absolutely. And I truly do believe it happened for a reason. Um, I mean, think about like, I wouldn't be on this podcast if it wasn't for all of this stuff. And because all this stuff happened, I'm, I'm able to be on here, meet people like you and change lives in many different ways. Because if I can change my own life, then it's going to lead me to change somebody else's. So that's why I'm kind of grateful for everything that's really happened.
0: Yeah. Really, really inspiring that you have such a strong head on your shoulders. And do you feel like that came from a strong family? Do you feel like, I mean, have you always kind of been sort of a strong, strong willed person and um, able to really kind of tackle life as it came to you? Or do you think that this journey shifted that?
1: I think it's a little bit of everything. You know, I've always had that entrepreneur mindset. I've always wanted to be, you know, successful. I've always wanted those things. Um, and I, and I've really drilled that on to myself, you know, before all this happened and, you know, now it's like, all right, now you have a new text, you know, you learned all this stuff. You've been really trying to be an entrepreneur. You're trying to, you know, be successful. Okay. Now here's something really, really, you know, intense that you got to kind of go after. And so, um, you know, I've always had a very supportive family. I've, I've been able to be, you know, grow, growing up as a very, um, supportive supported child i was raised right and those are big blessings in, in this thing um but it's it's really allowed me to i've taken my past and my as a child and really helped me you know be prepared for these for what's now in front of me you know
0: yeah, really great. I I do think that, um you know, all those factors play into it. And yeah, you've definitely, I'm sure, undoubtedly grown, even though you were probably very strong before all of this, but undoubtedly grown through this. What would your advice be to somebody listening and also just thinking about yourself at the time of diagnosis? So what would Logan of today, who now knows what he knows and has been through what he's been through, say to somebody who's facing a cancer diagnosis, who is in that sort of you know, fear stage of just learning that it's, you know, deemed a terminal cancer and and is, is having a hard time seeing past that? What would sort of be your advice?
1: Yeah. You know, the quote that really changed my life is it always seems impossible until it is done, right? Like that's, that's the quote that really has changed my life in the sense of like, we see things as horrible as they are, but until we change our vision and we realize these horrible things in our life, depression, loneliness, you know, low self-worth, you know, self doubt, whatever. Those are horrible things, but those are some of the best things that we can use to create the best version of ourselves later on down the road. And those are things we learn, those are things we build up, and those are things that we realize are gifts. Um, so that's what I would really say is like, you know, understand that those are horrific things, but it's a time for you to grow. And you 100% can control these outcomes, you can control where your life is going to go. It just comes down to you really believing in yourself and taking that
0: action. Yeah, I think it's so important to really highlight that because I think that in that fear and despair mode, it, it feels like you have no role in this, no way to be proactive, no way to, you know, from doctor to doctor's visit, you're just dependent on whatever happens and, and there's nothing you have control over. and And there really is so much that you can do on your own. And I tell a lot of my clients that too, that, you know, I know that it can be, very disempowering to feel like there's nothing you can do. You can do, you're just in the next visit is you just laying there and getting your chemo again or getting your radi- radiation and then you just suffer until the next visit. But to really, truly believe that there, there are things that you can do. Um, diet obviously being a huge part. Are there any other self-care practices, um, mindfulness practices, any, anything else that you attribute to, um, you know, sort of your overall wellness at this stage?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I do. Uh, I do meditate. I do meditation every day. Um, I do it, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a day. I truly believe it has changed and potentially saved my life mentally and emotionally. Um, I literally cannot express to people enough that how powerful it really has been for me. Um, I'm around the right people. I'm in the right right environment. Um, you know, obviously I work out. I do intermittent fasting. I do things. I do every little every little thing I possibly can to know that hey, that's 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 potentially. You know, adding a year to your life—that's potentially beating a tumor from coming back—and that gives me confidence. It gives me hope. It gives me strength internally. So, absolutely, I, I meditate every day, and I, I get proper sleep. Um, and those are just little things, kind of put to the puzzle and making sure you know this never comes back.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I love all that. I do think that sleep and meditation are so so important, and um, they're you know meditation becoming a lot more mainstream than it was, but still really important to talk about because I think a lot of people feel like, oh, that's, you know, for hippies or that's really woo-woo. Um, I meditate. I think it's very, very powerful. And um, sleep, I could not even, <laughs> I continue to stress how important sleep is. Almost all of my clients struggle with sleep and it is so necessary for our bodies to restore and recover. So I just so appreciate you taking this time, Logan, to share with our listeners your story um, and me, honestly. And I will include all of the links to your websites and your book. And I, of course, wish you the absolute best. I appreciate and I'm so grateful for your time, but also the beaming light that you are for others who are on their own journey. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I really appreciate you having me on here.
0: I would like to thank Logan for an amazing interview and sharing his wisdom and insights into his personal journey. I do want to remind you that every story is so impactful, so inspiring, but also so individual. The information and advice and stories are not intended to replace any medical advice that you are receiving. They are simply there just to highlight what others' journeys have looked like, what their paths have entailed. and highlight the importance of mind and spirit going right alongside the focus on the body and not limiting your options to only what you might hear from one individual practitioner, not acting out of fear and despair, giving yourself the time to make the decision that feels right for you and moving forward in a way that feels aligned with your heart, your spirit, and your soul if you enjoyed this episode or any previous episode, I would so greatly appreciate a review on iTunes. It helps others find us, but it also helps me improve and provide you the value that you're looking for. I really appreciate you being here, continuing to mind your wellness alongside with us. I'll see you here again next time.